To Ornate Stairwell Movie Podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve, and uh, I will hopefully not cough a bunch, but. I have an eye on your Ricola. I'm like, I kind of want a Ricola. I'm not coughing, I just think they taste nice. Yeah. But you're like, coughing, so. And an update just as we go into this. I was hoping to have watched before we got to this point. Uh, I was hoping to have rewatched Throw Away Your Books and Rally in the Streets, and literally the night that I had planned, I just like had a breakdown about how my insurance won't give me the inhaler I need mm-hmm. to breathe normally. So sucks. I did that instead of watching a two and a half hour movie. I watched a two and a half hour movie, but you put that third in the spreadsheet, so my uh, segue there didn't really work at all. Yeah. Um. What's anyway. this? What's this movie you got here first on the spreadsheet? Um, so I'm not going to talk about this very much, but I do have the first Battles Without. What's that? So it's the first movie. Remember like a a little bit ago when we watched Battles Without 2 and we like, Mm. we talked about that one. It's not ringing any bells. It's not coming to me. I don't know. It's like the first (laughs) movie that we watched before we even started the podcast. Yes. Anyway. Um, Yeah. The the swim fans boys invited me on to <clears throat> talk about battles without. They're currently doing their cruel summer, which is, uh, I think it started with them. The they've like gotten so far afield of what the original idea was because I thought that it was cry movie, but it's even more specific than that. I thought the idea was you, the shape of your body next to the shape of my body, and. Ooh. Wait, what? It's Taylor Swift's song called Cruel Summer. Don't worry about it. Oh. Okay. Um, I like Taylor Swift a lot. Yeah. I was just so confused for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I was on that podcast, talked about it. We've talked about this podcast before. We talked about... Or we've, we've talked about this film before. Um, 
on this podcast to some degree. Yeah. We kind of talked about it when we did the second one. It's, um, we have functionally covered battles without, despite not having actually covered it. Yeah. So, like, if people want to hear me give more thoughts on it, I guess they can go listen to that Swim Fans episode when it comes out in, like, a month and a half or something, because they're over on, like, Ghost Ivy release schedule stuff uh, over there. So. I see. Um, but yeah, so they'll be out eventually, but it was fun. Enjoyed rewatching it. Um, it still is extremely gay when they link arms, cut their arms, and then gaze into each other's eyes as they drink each other's blood. It's just one of the gayest Yakuza (laughs) cinema moments ever. Um, but anyway, um, I put a C for the stairwell. I remember that there's some, the, the big one is there's the police that run up when they're going to go, uh, they like capture a guy and then he ends up, or they're trying to capture a guy. He ends up killing a bunch of police and then he gets killed and they're running up the stairs, but you don't get a ton of the view of the stairs, but it's still kind of thematic. Like a lot of that movie is just stuff going bad. So, (sighs) um, but yeah, I don't have too much else there. Uh, next I'm going to talk about Russian doll. So, um, I guess this is a new show. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I will try and put in like a little timestamp here mm-hmm. um, just because it, it is a little bit newer. I'm also going to briefly talk about the new Stranger Things at the end. Probably. Stanger Things. But I don't have nearly as many thoughts on it. But so I'll put in a timestamp right here. 23 minutes and 15 seconds. And then you can skip ahead. Um, so, yeah, uh, Emily and I watched through Russian Doll. We, re- we liked the first season. Um, and we're watching through the second one. Um, I think in terms of like a lot of the stuff that's being produced by Netflix currently, it's one of the ones that like lands a little bit better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the writing is a little bit more on point, which is just nice. Um, and this one in particular is, so the, the first season, did you watch the first season or anything? I don't watch any Netflix shows okay. really. I don't, like, I just don't yeah. care about that ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first season, she's, like, stuck in a time loop. Um, and then, like, kind of immediately approaches it as, like, a game where, like, okay, I have to, like, figure out what's the puzzle to, like, break out of this loop. She approaches oh. it with this, like, very, like, I am going to si- solve the time loop I've heard thing. of this one. Yeah. Um... And then there's like stuff that they find out along the way. It's 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 pretty good and um there you know, interesting stuff gets brought up throughout it. Um it's not just like purely like how do I solve a time loop? Like I think in general the series is kind of interested in broader questions. Um but so this one is she finds out uh that basically there's a train that if she gets on it, she goes back in time and becomes her mom like right around the time when she was about to give birth to her. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think it even, cause well, time gets all weird towards the end, but um, it is even like it's coming up on her birthday in the present, like celebrating her birthday. And then it's coming up on like when she was born in the past. But anyway. Um, and she thinks that like, basically she's approaching this going back into the past 
also as like, oh, here's a thing that I can solve. And the thing that I can solve is that like the, there's this, these, uh, like coins, you know, her family being, uh, like Hungarian Jews during world war two, a lot of the money was like stolen or lost. Uh, some of what was recovered was like turned into coins. And then those coins were eventually stolen mm-hmm. and lost. And that was supposed to be like her inheritance. Um, and so she's like, oh, basically I can like solve this and I can get my inheritance back. Mm-hmm. And so she's approaching it throughout all the steps of the way being like, okay, I'm going to try and do the things to like ensure that I get what I like. I get the money instead of it disappearing. Um, and then it just becomes about like the futility of trying to change the past mm-hmm. and that like actually trying to approach your past and like your relationship with your parents as like a problem to be solved that will like get some sort of fix for you is like actually not that healthy or productive is really the, I think the conclusion of the series. So, hmm. um, which I thought was interesting and kind of inter- intersected with things that I find interesting because like my dad was born in Germany. Uh-huh. Um, my, we found out after both of my grandparents died that my Oma was like, well, we know that genetically, like I have the Ashkenazi Jewish, um, that one like gene that basically every type type of cancer ever is tied to. Um, so I have that that's, mm-hmm. you know, but then also like, it seems like, perhaps her family was Jewish and they were keeping it secret even up until both of them died. Mm. Um, and then my, my, uh, Opa was enlisted in, to fight in the Nazi army. Mm. And so we just like have this complicated family history around everything that's going on with like yeah. Nazi Germany. Um, and this is also kind of grappling with some of that stuff too. So, mm. um, I mean, it's not like one of the greatest things I've ever seen, but it was a good it show. Sounds, it sounds like this is a better pitch than I get on most prestige TV shows. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this sounds more interesting than like The Handmaiden's Tale, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. The I think my biggest gripe is there's a um, I'm like forgetting a the character's name because he shows up so little in this, but there's like a guy who's also stuck in the time loop in the first season. And that becomes a key part. Mm. He comes up here too. And is also traveling back to the past, but like basically just gets one episode about his thing. And then like debates a little bit with her later on. And I just wish that they spent a little bit more time on like his backstory and exploring some of those other things. But, um, I feel like Russian doll is not getting the stranger things budget. So maybe some of it is they just had to, pick and choose where they're going to focus their story. Um, I do appreciate that. Like all the episodes are basically a half hour. That's really nice. Oh, um, this is a better pitch than I get. On yeah. Most. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, um, I, I, I think it's nine episodes, but they're like a half hour. Okay. It's like seven or nine. It's something like that. Anyway, that, that has made me more interested in than yeah. anything else you said. That's digestible. Yeah. Like, you can just, like, watch, like, a half-hour episode and yeah. not even marathon it. But, yeah. Um, so I'd recommend it. Hopefully, that doesn't have too many spoilers in it, but I'm still going to yeah. have a little spoiler thingy. And, yeah, just in case. Yeah. 
Um, I'll also make this note here. Oh, I guess I'll do the the uh, Stranger Things bit before I yeah close this out. So I also started watching watched two hour, or two episodes of the new Stranger Things season, which is more than two hours. Which is more than two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of this is just like one I kind of have an affection for like schlocky horror films that Stranger Things is sometimes kind of riffing off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I've just like seen the other seasons and might as well see this last know, one. And Emily's kind of curious in it about it, but is also like has a, a far lower tolerance for horror than I do. And so she's also like, Oh, you can like watch it and like, tell me if I would be able to handle it or like, tell me what happens, stuff like that. So yeah, I started watching it. Um, but the biggest thing is that like, the episode lengths have just continued to creep up where now I look at it and I'm like, I could literally just watch one of the horror movies that you're riffing off of. And it would be much faster paced. And I would just watch the movie and be done. Yeah. Um, where like I've watched two episodes and I kind of am just like begrudging that I couldn't watch two movies. This, this, (laughs) it's funny that totally independently, um of stranger things i have been catching up on um just king things which i got about six months behind on i think um that sounds right um and they have talked a little bit about stranger things because like dino de Laurentiis stephen king movies are exactly the sort of thing that stranger things is riffing on yes and (laughs) and this is not dino de Laurentiis, but like in my experience of watching christine and my experience of watching one episode of Stranger Things and not really following it up ever, I do just like schlocky 80s movies better than I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Stranger Things. And yeah. Christine is absolutely like the sort of thing that they're pulling from. You know? Yeah. No one's setting a car on fire in Stranger Things. You have to tell me if someone sets a car on fire and then drives it down a road. <laughs> I will. Um, I, that hasn't happened yet. But... Probably because you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably um... because someone at Netflix is like, no, you are not setting a car on fire and putting a stunt driver in there. Yeah. But, and the part that's weird about it for me is that I know that like a TV show is just always going to be more commitment than a movie. But, for some reason, when the Stranger Things episodes are, like, 50 to 60 minutes, which is nearly a movie, mm-hmm. it still is just, like, psychologically different than me looking at it and knowing that there are, like, schlocky movies that this is aping mm-hmm. that have the exact same runtime as this one episode. Yeah. There are, like, tons that I could find. Yeah. And that are going to tell a complete story where I don't have to see, like four different scenes of Elle being bullied to really drive home that she's being bullied. Like you can just show me like the one big scene Mm. where she like tries to use her powers and can't. And then that could be it for the episode. Yeah. I get the fact that she's being bullied a lot. You can have someone comment on like, man, those bullies sure aren't leaving you alone or whatever. Yeah. Um, you don't need an entire movie length episode about how a girl is being bullied. Uh huh. That doesn't come to any resolution about it. um a part of it too is that i'm I'm not gonna say that stranger things ever had great writing Mm -hmm. but it's just notably 
like it's not even funny in the way that sometimes it was a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. Like there are times where like people are just doing things that feel like they should be jokes and just are landing completely flat for me. Um, it's really unclear. They will show like a character behaving away and then another character and both of them, I think, are just like complete idiots. But the way that the the cinematography and the reactions are framing right. it is like this person's like cool and everyone's enraptured by them. Right. Um, and then this one, they're like rolling their eyes. And I'm just like, you like have to show me the reaction so that I'm supposed to know like what I'm supposed to feel about this <laughs> character. Is that what's happening? Um, yeah. And they just keep doing this thing where they'll have like two scenes that are being intercut and they're like lines will be like going off of each other and it's like just get something else other than that one trick i've watched two episodes and you've done it like three or four times that would be a really cool trick in a movie yeah that would be a really cool thing that happened in a movie yeah once (laughs) for one scene anyway like star Um, wars i guess yeah so i've i've really not enjoyed it that much so far um the few parts that that are like actual horror Except me. It's not even... I mean, I guess the girl is, like, canonically gay. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know anything about this. I just know that Twitter was like, here's a news story about, is that one character gay? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I really have not enjoyed this season very much so far. I The first one was, like, kind of surprising. Like, it was one that kind of surprised me as, like, oh, that was pretty good. And the second one, I was like, oh, okay. And then the third one, I was like, oh, you're, like, really leaning into, like, practical effect. Well, not really practical effects, because a lot of it's CG. But you're, like, leaning into that kind of style of, like, just weird horror monster design that's just, like, got a bunch of weird blobby gross shit going on. Where I'm like, okay, you're, like, at least riffing on a, a different genre. Um, and this one seems to be, like, pushing towards serial killer like a little bit referencing some of the serial killer genre stuff. I don't but I, it just hasn't like landed in any way that feels I know a lot of people love it. Serial killer fiction just uh, is not my thing. Does not light my fire. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but if you gave me a choice between a serial killer and a monster, I would choose a monster. Well, it's still a it's still a monster. You I've so far seen the same like extreme monster guy kill two people. Okay. And in like clearly like supernatural ways. I guess my thing is, is not but they are framing it around like horror stories around like a a guy who killed his family and then like escaped and is killing people. The thing the thing for me is not that I don't like serial killers. I feel neutral about serial killers and uh unfortunately all media for the past 10 years has been really serial killer happy. Yeah. Um, and it's been like on the uptick since the nineties, but it's gotten just out of hand in the last 10 years to where yeah. I'm like this thing I was neutral on. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. Well, cause the first, the first season was like, Oh, someone's like trapped in another weird space and communicating through that. Uh-huh. And then there's like this one horror monster that's coming through. Season two, I honestly don't even remember that much. Season three is like uh, body snatcher style, like mind control, okay. blah, 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 um, with like a, a big 
like central monster, but then also kind of this like everyone's be becoming like hive, you know, uh, body snatched people. Um, but then this one is like specifically like a monster that seems to be targeting individual people. Mm-hmm. And then there are like things that in serial killer fiction would make sense of like, Oh, the eyes are missing and things like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. The body. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know. This one is just like not landing for me at all, but, um, Russian dolls. Good. People should watch Russian Doll if you want a Netflix TV suggestion. The other one is Sense8. <laughs> you should watch Sense8. That's two shows you like on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm marking it. Can I tell you something that happened to me this week? Um, so you know how I'm not a brained? Yeah. You you got a little bit Paris Texas brained? I got a little Paris Texas. Okay, Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I did something smart, which was I set a three-minute timer on my phone. I had I, I opened the Criterion channel, and I had to pick something within three minutes. I could not scroll. I could not think about. I could not. I had three minutes to pick something. It, it came down between Paris, Texas and Black Narcissus, um, and I just coin flip. Paris, Texas caught my eye. I like Vim Vender's films a lot. Um, I know this is like... Some people say Wings of Desire is his best movie. Some people say this is his best movie. So this is the one that I went with. <clears throat> um, And I watched it Wednesday night. And then I was up till about 1 a.m. watching it. And then I woke up at 6 a.m. and I watched it again. And honestly, truly... Yeah. Thinking about watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, when I woke up the next morning at six, I, I watched the commentary track. Um, I, I was like mostly listening to the commentary track and then like sort of like peeking in at my favorite scenes and those sorts of things. Um, I just love this movie. Do you want to? Do do you want to decide right now that we're not doing four Hamlet movies and it's just going to get in there somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I I thought about watching it too this uh-huh. week, but I decided to do something where we could have more to talk about. Well, but it would then... also be fun to watch it since you're like watch it with you since you're all Paris yes. Texas brain. Yes. I I the thing I will say um in in this moment, right now today, I probably like Paris, Texas more than Wings of Desire. Um, I like I kind of think that long term, like the the way that vendors uses like black and white and color and Wings of Desire, I think like is just going to like make it so much more vivid in my memory you know if that makes sense there's just yeah. like so much stuff from wings of desire that i can just conjure this image or this moment in my head even now a year out from having seen it whereas like paris texas is like this like lengthy experience also paris texas is two and a half hours long so if we don't want to do it for stairwells i understand that no we'll sometimes do longer movies we it's could fine. It, it could just be one where we watch it you know 
Wednesday and record yeah. Thursday or something like that. So we could make it happen. Yeah. Um. It's just, it's just everything I want in a movie. It's, I'm not going to get too, because if we're going to cover it, I'm not going to get too much in depth. But like, it, it opens on Harry Dean Stanton, who is one of my favorite actors. I didn't know he was leading in this movie when I turned this movie on. If I had known he was leading in this movie, I would have watched it 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have always loved Harry Dean Stanton um, and like particularly in Cool Hand Luke, and it feels like he's very much back in the in the mode that he is channeling for big for Cool Hand Luke. I almost said Big Hand Luke, which is a different <laughs> different movie. Yowie Hand Luke. <laughs> Bigger Hand Luke. <laughs> anyway, um um yeah, I think um I just want to say, while you're, like, trying to recollect your thoughts after that, that it is funny to me that I immediately went to Yowie Hands, and you immediately went to Bigger Luke. Yeah. That's us in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue. I love Nora so much. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's just... I I I I can't talk about this movie without going long, you know? <laughs> Cuz yeah. like fundamentally the thing I like is like a guy being sad in a desert, you know? Yeah. I like watching Harry Dean Stanton be sad in a desert. I like Dean's Dean Stockwell, the weird guy from uh Blue Velvet. Yeah. Okay, you know. Okay, cool. There's many weird guys in Blue Velvet, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh man, if she doesn't know who Dean Stockwell is right now, I'm <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, I love guys being sad in the desert, but I, like, the thing that is amazing about that movie is that it is so much more than, like, guys being sad in the desert. Um, Yeah. But also, that's all it is, is guys being sad in the desert. It is both, it is both the smallest movie and the biggest movie. I don't know if that makes sense at all. In the same way that, like, Wings of Desire is very small in scope, but also, like, covers every human experience that one could possibly have. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that, like, Rebels of the Neon God is that in some ways. Yeah. Um, I, I just think this movie's phenomenal. Um, well. I just think it's amazing. Also, last thing, it just... They're driving in this movie... From Texas to California, and then back again. And oh, they go there, there, and, and back, back again. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a very like, I grew up in Kansas City, um, and we had family out in Phoenix, and so sometimes we would drive out like out through Kansas and into Colorado and then come down through Flagstaff, Arizona to Phoenix. Or sometimes we'd go through Texas and New Mexico. And, um, you know, um, we would either stop in Santa Rosa or Albuquerque um, and then, like, drive on to Phoenix. Like, that that per, that drive from Texas mm-hmm. to California is a drive I recognize. You know, there's, like, landmarks they pass in this movie that I'm like, oh, 
I know the highway they're on, you know? Yeah. Um, which is just like, I, I, I'm sure if you lived in, um, West Berlin and you were watching Wings of Desire, like, I, I know that street. I know yeah. that coffee shop, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, I think it's amazing. I, I, I can't, I can't say anything more because if we're going to cover it, I don't want to go long like I that one time I just told you the entire plot of Deep Cover for no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I nearly watched today, but instead I watched an episode of Stranger Things. Really regret that choice. I've never been more <laughs> upset with you. <laughs> I was upset with myself. I just want to be done. This is the thing. Um. Oh, la- last, last Paris, Texas thought. Um, oh, second to last pair of sex thought. <laughs> F for stairs. Um, <laughs> There's not lots of stairs driving around? <laughs> there are not many stairs on the drive from from Texas to Los Angeles and then back again. Yeah. There aren't many inclines, generally speaking, <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about being very familiar with this drive, and I was like, there was a, a movie that took place on the drive from, like, Michigan to Georgia uh-huh. through the Appalachias. Uh-huh. Ooh. I I, I, would, I recognize all of that. <laughs> I did that drive so many times to go see Emily. <laughs> um, the one that's really in my head, because there was a while where I was living in Lawrence, Kansas, and dating somebody in um, uh, Lee Summit, Missouri... And it was about an hour drive, and I would, like, drive out in the morning, and then I'd be driving back at 2 a.m., and so there was, like, still, and I would do this, like, every weekend, you know, and I could still, like, the same way I was just talking about Wings of Desire, like, there's just images, I know that turn, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know the big Methodist church with the cross with the flame on it, you know? I remember... Oh, if I pass that, I'm about 20 minutes out. Yeah, my dad's a Methodist pastor. I know the Methodist girl. I didn't know he was a Methodist pastor. I just knew he was a pastor. (laughs) Anyway, um, my other last thought about Paris, Texas was that when I, um, when I watched it, I had it on like the big, the stupid TV that I spent too much money on, but also makes me very happy. (laughs) I watched it on there. You know, it's on the Criterion channel. It looked amazing. I'm going to buy a Blu-ray of it literally the second it goes on sale. Um, Unless I think maybe they're going to do a 4K one, in which case I'll sit on it. But anyway, um, looked amazing. And I was like, I wonder if some of my love for this movie is like tied up in that. Um, And is tied up in like... um, my viewing experience and if i watched this on a laptop if that would have affected it in the way that like i watched another of my favorite movie uh badlands the terrence malick film on a laptop and um there's just stuff about badlands that doesn't translate on like a tiny screen like that you know like not to be david lynch but it's true (laughs) (laughs) anyway um so i was having this slot and i was watching like all the criterion channel like bonus stuff they had um, about this movie, including, like, some featurette from, like, a home video release from the 90s. And so you get, like, this, like, laser disc, um, like, uh, you get, like, laser disc footage of 
Paris, Texas, and it looks like shit. And I was still like, anytime they would cut to that footage, I was like, oh my god, this is so, this is so good. <laughs> this looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. That's that's it. That's everything. I. I oh my god, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Before I do my my other thing, which is a clear transition, I'm gonna quick jog back and say I gave a B plus to Russian Doll because coming up the stairs out of the subway is a significant, like thematic thing mm-hmm. during the time travel. Anyway, uh, yeah. So you you got all Paris Texas brained, and I was like, I kind of want to watch it. But also, I want to just have something else to talk about on stairwells, and... You picked something that I was actually trying, intending to watch before this episode, and then didn't make time for, so I'm really glad that you watched it so that we can at least talk about it. But, yeah, I was like, I knew that, like, Vim Vendors and uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender were friends. Mm. Um, Do you like how I nodded at your German pronunciation as if I'm the one who knows? (laughs) And um, I, I just nodded instinctually, like why? Why would? I? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, and I, I just saw I, I've seen some other Fassbender stuff, um, but I hadn't seen uh, Carol ever before, and I saw that it was on the Criterion as like their LGBTQ plus must see or whatever. Mm-hmm. Forget how many letters they decided to put it in. It. I think they went with the full LGBTQIA plus. Okay. Um, you think they have a lot of like a in there? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you think they got like lots of films about the asexual experience in that collection? Probably a lot of movies about people fucking in that collection. Yeah. Probably a, probably um, most of those movies. <laughs> it's just meaningless to companies, even companies like Criterion. Anyway, yeah. Um. So yeah, I decided to watch it and um. Like I was, I was really taken by it, but also in a way where uh, there's so much happening in in it mm-hmm. that um, is like hard for me to like fully situate. Still, a a day or two after seeing it, mm-hmm. I forget if I watched it yesterday or the day before. Um, but yeah, because it so it's based on a novel that was written uh, by Jean Genet, who is the um, guy who wrote and directed that one, um, Unchant L'Amour, that short. Oh. That was, like, basically a, a gay porno in the male prison huh. thing. Um, and I can, I can see that all over this, both just in terms of, like, the way that it is at once, like, just visibly <clears throat> on screen depicting, like, queer relationships between men, while also talking about those in like metaphorical ways at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Like it is like both doing the, like we have to talk about it metaphorically because like, you know, this is what they're allowed censorship, whatever it's like operating that mode. Well, at the same time, just like showing people grabbing their dicks and kissing guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that really reminded me of it. It also reminded me of it because like most of the men in this Basically, all of the men in this are, like, what I would define as, is, like, classic types of, like, gay male bodies mm-hmm. that are desired, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
I, I joked when I was watching it that if you told me that the storyboards were drawn by Tom of Finland, <laughs> I would believe you. Because um, it's like sailors and cops and mm. like all of them in just like the most like Tom of Finland ass gay like the the cop in this is like literally wearing like leather chaps with his ass hanging out and stuff <laughs> right the sailors like have like this the too tight shirt with the little tiny like beanie hat and uh-huh. stuff yeah you ever watch hail caesar no okay anyway Sorry. um that's me so th- so there's there's like this like clear like tama finland influence i think that is occurring or is like at least like parallel to it's pulling from this like Jean Genet stuff that I can also recognize having seen Unchant L'Amour it is also operating in this like some of this is that I just watched Twin Peaks The Return but like reminded me of this like when I think of some of this Lynch stuff that has this like very dreamy quality like everything is kind of this strange like so many of the shots in this just have Vaseline on the lens. It's just like everything is like golden with like light is just haloing everywhere uh-huh. all the time. This sounds like a good movie. Um, <laughs> this sounds like some shit I'd like. Sets are like so clearly constructed. There's a part where like the sun is setting off the edge of a pier and it's literally just a glowing orb on the set. Mm. That's just it, like right at the edge of the pier. Um you know, yeah. like you can just tell it's like a fake orb. They're yeah. not even trying to hide it. Yeah. Um, and it also is then operating in this space that Twin Peaks in particular makes me think of where there is like sometimes the soap opera melodrama that is occurring, but they are also doing something kind of with it to like almost add to like the surreal- uh, surreality of it to like pull on that specific like kind of stilted acting that you would expect in these kinds of things and maybe some of it is that like i think it's also kind of riffing on on like porn as well mm-hmm. where you would have these actors who are not like great actors because they're there to like be hot guys right right yeah. um so i think that's like also informing it um and yeah it's just like there are parts where it seems like they are talking there are moments at which it feels like this is just a completely normal script about like a sailor or whatever, you know? Mm. And then you're just existing in a bizarre world where they've just cast gay porn actors to play everyone, <laughs> but that it is like a completely normal straight story. And then suddenly it will just hard veer. Cause like there are these moments where it's like, Oh, if like your sister was here or, and I could, like, embrace her, then, like, oh, I would, like, kiss her and have sex with her. While, like, the man's, like, literally embracing the other man, like, as if they are about to kiss mm. and stuff. Where you're, like, you know, those are the moments where it feels like this could be a completely straight script that they are, like, playing really gay. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a moment where, like, oh, yeah, a main key plot point is the person having, like, anal sex for the first time with another guy, and it's, like, fully talked about Mm -hmm. and depicted and everything. I mean, not, like, you don't see the dick going in the ass, but, like, you see him, like, bending over and everything. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I should watch this. Yeah. It was great. It was... 
again, it's like, I don't know if I have like final thoughts on what it's talking about Mm -hmm. because there's just so many things that it's pulling from and like engaged with, um, that for my first time watching through it and being slightly distracted because I was also working at the same time. Right. Um, it's just like, no, I can't like, I can't have like a cogent take on like, what was this movie? But it was great. It was really interesting. Um, you should watch Inshallah more before you watch it, though. Okay. I feel like it's actually like a fairly interesting okay. thing to sure. inform it. Sure. To see like the person who wrote this novel, what's the one film thing that he made? Because um, I do think that is actually informing this film. I was, um, there's a lot of this, like, um, quote unquote, and I, I sometimes, I was watching an interview with, uh, vendors about Paris, Texas, where he refers to, um, this is like the German new wave, but also he's like, it was kind of just me, Fassbender and Herzog and a couple other guys. It was mostly, it was like a very, it wasn't like, like French new wave is like, you know, there's this whole like school of thought and it's a very like rigorous, like this is French new wave. This is not German new wave cinema was like, like the American friend, the, uh, the vendors 74, 1974 film was like the first German movie that got distributed outside of, uh, that got distributed in the U S since the war. Like, um, German new wave cinema, quote unquote, was a much smaller thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the thing the thing that that just reminded me of is is how much like early Herzog stuff is like deliberately like in conversation with like older German cinema or or like French cinema or or European cinema and like vendors movies uh, in in that moment were very like in conversation with like this specific American movie or that specific American movie um, that I, it's not surprising to me to hear that like, Oh, Fassbender is also like deliberately pulling on this like French movie that I would have never heard of. If not for you just yeah. watching gay porn sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ratique. Thank you very much. Um, it was just funny seeing it was Jean Genet and being like, Oh, I know that guy. I watched his gay erotic film. Vendors also had, um, this has nothing to do with anything, but he just had this quote that I thought was so funny and I just wanted to share it. Because he's talking um, about, he's being interviewed while making Wings of Desire. Because you can see, he's like literally in the editing room. You can see like frames of Wings of Desire in the background as he's talking and there's a Mm -hmm. big poster for it. But he's talking about making Paris, Texas, and he's talking about like, well, you know, one of the things he says is that he's like, oh, Fassbender just vanished. And he like can't even like say Fassbender died. You know, he c- couldn't even say it. And then he's like, you know, I kept I just wanted to talk to uh, Herzog about it. And I never could because every time I try to call him, I'd find out he was in South America or Africa or wherever <laughs> the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny, <laughs> like trying to call for Herzog, just like, oh, just getting his assistant being like, oh no, he's out shooting guns with Klaus Kinski today. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, um, but anyway. yeah. Um, I I did it after the question mark because maybe I am misremembering, but it's so many like sets. Mm-hmm. There's maybe one that I don't remember if it involved stairs or not. That's kind of around with like the pier and stuff that I was talking about. But I don't actually remember if it involves stairs. Jit. But right. like everything feels so constructed and set. Like in the way that like we sometimes talk about some of those like old Hollywood films where everything is like very clearly on like a sound stage. Mm-hmm. And that's like, okay, people might walk walk towards the stairs that you can kind of see the suggestion of, but nobody's gonna go up or down them because they might not even be functional stairs that mm-hmm. are like safe to step on. Right, yeah. So um Question, and then we'll probably get into Chunking Express after this, but this is just where I'm at right now. Scale 1 to 10, how mad are you going to be if I show up next week? Like, yeah, I watched Until the End of the World, the uh, five-hour uh, Vim Vendor's, like, follow-up to Paris, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> like. That'd be fine. <laughs> I'm really trying to watch all of Live I'm Here. Just stairwells where we both watched one movie. You watched Le Vampire, which is what, nine hours? Yeah. But that's like it's, a series. Yeah, of. it's a, there's ten episodes, like it's like, was ten, you know, films, mm-hmm. episodes or whatever, or parts, however. I forget how they refer to it. But, um, but also it's a silent film. Mm-hmm. And those like in between uh, cards are pretty long. So I might watch that at like one and a half speed. Oh yeah. There's like, I this came up on I think VoIP Life or something speeding up mm-hmm. stuff. I have a lot of trouble doing it with like stuff where there's like, you know, the image, sound, blah, blah, blah like movies. It's very hard for me to like speed it up and feel like I'm actually still getting it because some of this is just like. I did so much editing that I'm like very keyed into like the intentionality of the pacing and stuff that it feels like speeding up music to me. Mm -hmm. It's just like, no, like part of music is just like the actual rhythm of it. Um, But for silent films for like, they, they get all screwy with the timing anyways. Right. Yeah. So, and especially something that's like a little bit more of a drama and not like a Buster Keaton comedy where I think like the, yeah, the timing some of that stuff is just so slow that for some reason I can speed up a silent film in a way that I can't a lot of other things. But I couldn't do man with a movie camera. I need that at the, the pace that it is because it's like very intentionally like cut to a rhythm. Mm-hmm. But like Lay Vamp here is not like cut to a rhythm in the same sense. There's a weird thing because Criterion did actually add speed settings. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, one of the only like major streaming services that has done this now. Because, like, HBO Max doesn't have it. Netflix doesn't have it. At least as far as I know. Maybe they do. I don't know. If they did, I don't know why the fuck I was watching Arrow at one time speed. Um, yeah. But the th- the thing for me, it, it, it's sort of, like, based on, like, how much do I respect the thing I'm watching? Because, like, and this is separate from podcasts. Podcasts, I just speed up basically as much as I can and still understand the voices for some podcast hosts, that's too speed for other podcast hosts. Maybe they talk a little faster in general. And so I just do 1.5, but for, for video content, for me, it is based on like random YouTube video. I don't really like respect that. 
double speed. <laughs> um, uh, like, let's say I was going to rewatch Ministry of Fear. I could put that at 1.5, you know? I've yeah. seen it before. It's kind of just another noir movie that I like, you know? Um, but, like, Paris, Texas, the, the, if you bumped it up 1%, I'd stab you. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, um, it is sort of, it, it is it is just an entirely a decision I make in my own brain. And so, silent movies, not that I don't respect silent movies. I'm, I'm being a little flippant when I use that terminology anyway. But, like, silent movies, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really old, so I would feel fine. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, some of it is just, like, having edited video mm-hmm. having like done this process this like internal sense that i have of like to what degree is the pacing of this the th- like part of the thing or not right podcasts usually like the pacing in that sense is not the same mm-hmm. there might be a little bit of like how do you like p- pace out a forth. podcast in the back and forth but that's a thing that's going to translate more to sped up because it is all just voices. It's a little bit like podcasts are a little bit more in that space yeah. of like audiobooks or something where like you can read a book at any speed. Um, and it is so much more about words and it's not about, but then you listen to like a music podcast, like cocaine and rhinestones. And that's yeah, I don't, like... I don't speed up cocaine and rhinestones because there's so much one. I, I wouldn't speed up music. Like yeah. I just can't. And two, like cocaine and rhinestones he, he is so deliberate about everything that i would it would feel like disrespectful to like the yeah. intentionality that he put into it where you know like a a youtube video i don't feel that intentionality of the pacing and so i just speed it up yeah yeah and most youtube video there's ones that i wouldn't but most are going to be in this space where it's like a video essay uh-huh. Where it can probably be sped up more, because it, I mean, or it's just going to be B roll anyway. Really, what I what I watch most of the time on YouTube is like Chris Remo doing the crossword and like speed that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um. But yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to like for me, the pacing of a a video thing is like music, mm-hmm. even if there's no music, it is still like music to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. In a way where like. I think a lot of people could not get over like speeding up. Like, I just want to listen to music and so I'm going to speed it up. Yeah. Um, I just like, can't do that with like, yeah, most stuff. Well, and it's also, but so much of live vampire is just people standing around in a room. And then a title card says the next line. We like, we should that shit up. Yeah. We should probably move on to chunking express. But the other thing that made me think of was also like podcasts for the most part, I am listening to, because I just need to be listening to things. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just get anxious when I'm, like, by myself and there's not noise happening. And so I speed them up so that I can listen to more podcasts. Whereas, like, music, I am listening to that for the experience of the music. It's, like, a more experiential versus, like, I'm just trying to get content in. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, not quite quantity quality, but, like, kind of. You know? Yeah. I think there are podcasts that are better than songs, but like, yeah. you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Chunking Express. Chunking Express. 
1994 film directed by Wong Kar Wai. Um, famously, um, he was in the middle of working on Ashes of Time, I believe, which is a wuxia film he directed um, that was a critical and commercial flop. I think there has been some critical reappraisal of what that movie is trying for. From from my understanding, Ashes of Time is a wuxia movie that like is really swinging for the fences for trying to upend that genre with how like reflective it is. This is all me having read other stuff about it. This is not... Anyway, Ashes of Time. He's in the middle of making it. He can already tell it's not going well. Yeah. They, they take a break in the middle of filming, and he, like, writes, casts, shoots, edits, everything. Every part of Chunking Express in, like, a month off, basically. Like, he's just, like, Ashes of Time is falling apart, and he's just, like, I'm just gonna make this other movie it's gonna be like a much like like lower class you know like it's gonna be quick it's gonna be you know we're gonna like it's gonna be dirty it's not gonna be this you know highly composed wuxia like we have to storyboard everything you know yeah um and chunking express then is like a runaway commercial and critical hit both i believe in hong kong and in the u.s um it is like the reason that anybody in the U.S. knows Wong Kar Wai's name, um, it is a uh, beloved film. Um, I had not seen it before. Had you seen this before? No. Uh, what did you think of it? I liked it. It was... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I maybe built it up in my head a little too much because I'm like, oh, In the Mood for Love, another movie that I, you know... Yeah. Like... In, in the Mood for Love, fucking phenomenal. In the Mood for Love, like, I know I say this a lot. I know I say this a lot. In the Mood for Love might be the best movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. It is. And so I was expecting to love this movie in the way that I loved that movie. And I think, generally speaking, I think Chunking Express kind of snuck up on me a little bit. Where I watched it, where we started it, and I was like, this movie's all right. And I, like, kept going. I'm like, eh, I'm kind of liking this. And I kept going. I'm like... I think I really like this. And then we got to like the final scene. I was like, I think I really love this movie, but it's sort of like, it had to like build a little bit. Whereas like in the mood for love, like from the word go, I was just like, this movie's incredible. Yeah. Look at this shit. <laughs> um, I think for, for me, I think part of it, again, this being the first time that I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was watching it and I joked about, in the mood for love being a great movie at the very beginning because mm -hmm. like that movie just hooks you right from the start. Yeah. Um, the other movie that I, I ended up thinking about a lot throughout this was, um, rebels of the neon God. Mm -hmm. And I think some of this is just like fully my psychology of, I think I like rebels of the neon God more and like fully owning up to some of it. I think some of it is that like, most people did not know about Rebels of the Neon God. Mm -hmm. There are people who got really excited about uh, Rebels of the Neon God Blu-ray because we talked about it on a podcast. Yeah. Um, whereas everybody knows Chunking Express this and is like film critic, critic Hulk, <laughs> film critic Hulk will yell about it in a in a thing about how to solve the puzzle box of <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Um. 
yeah, it's one of those where we, you know, we also watched Blow Up. Mm. And that was a movie where I really had this feeling of like, whatever is in this that people saw has just missed me. Mm-hmm. I just exist in a different time. Mm-hmm. I exist in a different place. I have a different access to film than the people who like saw this and like prized it did. Mm-hmm. And I have just no affection for this film. Chunking Express was not that, mm-hmm. but I got a little bit of it. I got a little bit of like, if I saw this when it first came out, it would have blown me away. Mm-hmm. Now that it is like risen to this level of like unassailable classic that everyone talks about. Right. I watched it and I'm like, oh yeah, that was good. And it's probably still going to stick with me. I'm going to like it a lot more than. Yeah. Blow so up. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. go rate it five stars. I'm going to give Letterbox. it five stars. It's weird. I'm talking about being a little let down by this movie, but I'm going to give five stars to, because yeah. I think it's incredible. <laughs> no, it's, it's just the thing of like, I absolutely love it, but also this is like. <laughs> okay. So I know most of the people listening to this podcast probably were not watching this movie in 1994 but like culturally i just pulled something up and i need to like situate chunking express a little bit culturally yeah came out two weeks before pulp fiction yeah can you imagine being i'm just a person who goes to the movies i i like a lot of independent cinema you know i, I watched reservoir dogs um oh the 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 guy who made Reservoir Dogs is out here promoting this Chinese movie. It looks kind of neat. I'll try it. You go watch Ch- fucking Chunking Express, and then two weeks later, you go watch fucking Pulp Fiction. Like, yeah, yeah. no wonder this movie is beloved. <laughs> Miramax couldn't lose. I mean, well, you know, but yeah. there's the can stuff, I, but. Can I tell you something? I just pulled it up on Letterboxd and as I stared at it. Uh huh. I did a four and a half. I think I'm, I I don't do half stars. You don't do half stars. I don't do half stars. If I didn't do half stars, it would be a five. Yeah, that's the thing is because if I did half stars, I could see a four and a half. But it's not a four, so it's a five. You know? Yeah. It is. It is not a four. It is not a four. This movie's yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <coughs> it's so funny. We were. Anyway, we we. There was a conversation in the Discord today about, like, do I need to watch the movies to follow along with stairwells? Here we are just sort of talking around <laughs> around the movie. I have not described it in any way other yeah. than when it came out. <laughs> right now we're... But I think right now we are having the thing of, like... I think there is something that happens when something gets held up as, like, a masterpiece. Which is that it just, by its nature, will, like, change the relationship that everyone who comes to it after has to have with it. Yes. And 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 sometimes you get something like Paris, Texas, or In the Mood for Love, where it is held up as a masterpiece, and you're like, oh my god, it is. Yeah. And, and sometimes you're like... <sighs> I think if I see Chunking Express a second time, and I know the shape of it, I'm gonna be like, oh my god, what a masterpiece. Yeah. You know? Part of the thing... All, part of the thing... And I really should just tell people what this movie is like, but part of the thing that I had was like, I never quite knew where it was going or what it was doing or what it was aiming for, you know? And so in some ways I was like, 
what am I watching? Like, what am I, like, I don't know how to react because I'm still figuring out what it is, you know, in some yeah. ways. Um, Chung King Express is a movie. We open, we, it is essentially split into two chapters. Yeah. Basically. And, and the, the second f- chapter I feel like is, is longer, but also that first chapter went on longer than, this is part of it, is I feel like the first chapter, there's some value in it, but also I felt like it hung The second a chapter is a lot better. The second yeah. chapter is a lot better. And not just because we love Tony Leung. It might be because we love Tony But also, if you told me that, like, Wong Kar Wai but... releases a cut of the movie where he swaps the two casts, I would probably be like, oh, I like the Tony Leung bit better. I don't think Tony Leung could play that character, though. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the characters get more charming and it's some of it is Tony Leung, but also like the, the actress that he's playing against. Oh, the actress that he plays against in the second chapter is incredible. Anyway, so it's a film in two chapters. The first chapter you get, um, this, is he a cop? I don't, I don't know what that guy does. I don't think that guy does anything other than just like pine after girls. So you get this guy He's all brokenhearted. This woman, he says he was with her for five years. I don't buy it. I think he was friends with her for five years. It was dating her for a little bit, and she broke up with him, and now he's all sad. She broke up with him on April 1st, and he's a, he's a weird guy. He's like, I'm going to um, get a can of pineapples every she day. She loves pineapples. She loves pineapples, and I'm going to only get cans that expire on May 1st. And her name's May. And, and I'm going to like, on May 1st, I'm going to eat all the expired cans of pineapples. Well, I don't think this is part of his original plan. His plan is that he's going to get one and basically like, if she still hasn't come back to him by the time that they're all expired, which would be May 1st, Mm -hmm. then like our love is expired too. Yes. And this is- And then when he like, when she never comes back, I think- in his, like, weird gremlin man self-loathing is like, well, I'm just going to eat all these expired pineapples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and you get you get scenes of him like, I'm going to call up every girl I ever knew. I'm going to call up this girl I dated five years ago. Or I, I, I used to know, and I hadn't seen her in five years, and she's got kids, and I'm going to try and, like, hit on her. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, yeah. like head on this random girl I see at the store I go to. I'm gonna, you know... I'm gonna call up somebody I knew in, like, middle school. Right. And he's, like, very given to, like, melodramatics, you know. Um, If these cans of pineapples expire, that means everything expires and, and, you know, death will come for us all, and so why should I ever love again? But also, love is the only thing that gives life meaning... You know, this sorts of things. Intercut with his story, you get this woman um, who is trying to smuggle a bunch of cocaine. Mm. Um, and she has recruited um, a group of Indian people um, to to help her with this. And question mark, question mark, question mark. Her ex-boyfriend kidnaps those people? Are they like... I don't, or they or like, they like go, scam her out of it by running off with it, basically. Yeah, they have all the stuff and then they like disappear. Yeah, question mark, question mark, question mark. 
her ex-boyfriend is involved somehow. Um, and she's like trying to find these people and, um, she is like just of the criminal underworld and, and like on May 1st, she's like basically on the run from all this criminal element stuff that's catching up to her. And she just like killed like four people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this guy is like, okay, well, you know, it's been a month since we broke up and blah, blah, blah. all these reasons that he's constructed in his mind that May 1st is the day that he has to get over her. He goes into this bar and he's like, I'm going to fall in love with the very first girl I see. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this, this woman. So he goes to chat her up and, um, takes her like, she doesn't want to talk to him, takes her back to a hotel. Nothing happens. She just sleeps. Mm-hmm. Um, she and while they're in the hotel, he's watching the TV while she's sleeping in bed. I am thinking of Rebels of the Neon God. I mean, like, man, that movie was so good. That movie's the so way good. that it like dislocated you in space with the way that it used hotels. But anyway, Rebels of the Neon God is so thankfully good. Tony Lung comes up. And if it oh. was this part of the movie, I would not like this movie that much. Yeah. So, so last, last thing she sleeps in the hotel. He leaves. She goes and shoots her ex-boyfriend. Um, and um, <clears throat> then she gives him a call and says happy birthday to him, basically. Because it was his yeah. birthday. I didn't touch on that. It didn't matter. Um, May 1st was also his birthday. And he, this like fills him with hope for the future. And he's going to love her for 10,000 years now. Um, yeah. It's... I there is stuff in here I like. I don't want to come off like I don't like this chapter. But it is like kind of like it is like the most like I don't know what this movie is supposed to be right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um I don't know what I'm supposed to be like I have my takeaways of like oh this guy's totally deranged but in a charming way. And and this woman is, it has her own interesting things. It should be noted also that all the four main characters in this movie get like pretty extensive, um, like, um, voiceover that gives you very, like, you know, gives you a lot of interiority that maybe the acting does not. And that, that contrast is purposeful and very interesting and good. Yeah. Tony long chapter. Um, also does not help that through all that first part, we're sitting there like, Where's our guy at? Yeah. Where's our guy? I, I miss... Where is he? I know Where's he's in this man? movie. <laughs> and then you very briefly see him from afar. Uh-huh. You see his face and we're like, where's our guy? He was there. <laughs> he was there. You showed him to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Tony Lung is playing this guy, a cop. He's definitely a cop. The other guy might have been a cop too. Maybe? Question mark. But this guy, definitely a cop. And he was with the stewardess gal for about a year. She breaks it off with him. He's feeling pretty. He's feeling pretty broken hearted about it. He's feeling yeah. really upset. Um, to the point where he's like talking to like his bar of soap about like, "Hey, buddy, I'm really worried about you. You lost a lot of weight. Are you eating good?" Yeah. Um. He's talking to like the raggedy dish towel that he needs to he needs to get a new dish towel. Yeah, very badly. <laughs> um, 
He has just like tons and tons of stuffed animals. It's very cute. Yes, it's so sweet. And he goes to the sa- he goes to meet with he goes to the same like restaurant every day, which is the same restaurant that the guy from the first chapter goes to. He goes to the same chapter the same restaurant every day and there's a new girl who's working there. Um and she falls for him. She just thinks he's cute. Um and finds out you know, a couple days later that his girl breaks up with him and, um, uh, so she gets it in her head. She's like, I want to get with this guy, but I'm really nervous. I'm not going to say anything to him. God forbid I said anything to him. Um, and, and he seems maybe dimly aware that she maybe likes him, but isn't going to do anything about it because she's not really saying anything and he's not going to make the first move. Yeah. Anyway, stewardess girlfriend comes to the restaurant because she knows he's there every day, doesn't see him, it's his day off, and leaves a letter at the restaurant. Everybody at the restaurant steams the envelope open, reads it, and is like, ooh, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And she leaves the keys to his apartment in um, the envelope to be like, goodbye, you have your keys back. Yeah. She... The girl at the restaurant comes up with this plan because she's really into this well, guy. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happens first is that she tries to give the letter to him. And he and stops. He's, he's like, oh, she left a letter. I'm not coming to this restaurant anymore. I don't want that letter. I don't want to see it. I don't want to think about yeah, it. I'll get it next time and then just stops coming. Yeah. Um. So she gets this idea in her head. One... She starts finding ways to like bump into him everywhere he goes. Yeah. Um. She's like, you know, she goes to like get groceries for the restaurant, and every day, just happens to walk past where he is. He's getting lunch now instead of the place that she works, um, and chats him up. And she takes the keys from the envelope, and starts gaslighting him. <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to his To the tune of Dreams by the Cranberries. <laughs> yeah. And also California Dreaming happens a lot. Many times. Yeah. A lot of that song. Yeah. Um. So she's just like, I'm going to redecorate his apartment and like um, moves everything around. But also he um, is just so out of it that he's like, oh, I must have you know, moved everything around, you know, yeah. even though I talked to every, every single object in the apartment, I, I must have rearranged everything and forgotten about it. You know, I think also there's a certain amount to which one, I think this is operating with like a little bit of a dream logic, Uh huh. not like extensive, but like a little bit. And I think some of it is also playing off of like, he is wanting his girlfriend to be back in that space again. Yes. And talking about like, oh, she used to like hide and jump out and scare me. And now this like new girl is like, you know, once hiding there stuck Mm -hmm. because he came home instead of like going someplace to eat for lunch Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, And so some of it is almost like this, like this wish fulfillment on his part of like, oh, I wish that she was in my life. When she's here, maybe she would have replaced that towel. Now the towel's replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, almost this like willingness to accept this because it just means that there's a person in his life. 
yes. who is like taking care of the home as well. Yes. Um, I think it is not like figured as like a literal thought process he's having, but I think it's like part of the. He's, uh, you know, he's heartbroken. He's grieving this relationship and he's maybe not like thinking these things, you know, through as much as he normally would. Yeah. Have. Um, one day she's in the apartment. <coughs> he comes home. She's there. Uh, it's awkward. Yeah. She goes back to her job and um, he comes in and gives her like the full like every time every time in any of his movies that Tony Lung smiles, my heart melts. I'm just like, oh, my God, yeah. he's so beautiful. <laughs> and you he... miss the part where she comes by and he's already there. Oh, yeah. And then she like sleeps. Uh-huh. Anyway. It is a very sweet scene. Yeah. Um, so he comes to the restaurant and like usually in his movies, he's like he is very charming and charismatic, but his character maybe is not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this scene, he's like, I'm going to play a character who is going to act like Tony Lung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I'm gonna put the moves on her, and yeah. it is electric. This is my favorite part of the movie by far. Yeah. <laughs> I ate this shit. You were just sitting there being like, wish Tony Lung would come to my work and talk to me like that. <laughs> um, and so he asks her out on a date and she says yes. And he goes and she never shows up. And he's waiting and he's waiting. And eventually the guy who manages the restaurant that she works at, her cousin, um, is like, hey, buddy, she's not coming. She left me this letter and she said she was going to California or something. Yeah. Um, also, the name of the bar that he was waiting at was called California. As well. Yes. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> he gets all sad and he bumps into he's like wandering around town bumps into his ex into his ex and that makes him more sad and he throws away the letter and it gets rained on but then he's like no i want to read the letter actually and so he does his best at reading it and he like it's a boarding pass that she hand drew it's not a real boarding pass but it is a boarding pass that is dated for one year later and one year um after this date they were supposed to go on she goes to the bar and he's not there. So she goes to the restaurant um, and he's there and he's listening to the song that she used to really like because she only likes one song. It's California Dreaming. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, <clears throat> and he's like renovating the place. And he's like, yeah, I bought the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, they have this like very sweet scene of like, she's like, she wants to keep being a stewardess and going and traveling and, you know, doing all the stuff. Because uh, she picked up a job as a stewardess. Yeah. And also maybe seems, like, a little upset about, like, what... I did some letter and you were supposed to do something or whatever. Yeah. Like, didn't you... How did you not read my mind and know that I wanted you to do this, this, and this? You know? Yeah. Um, but that was maybe conveyed by something that was... Yeah, maybe it was the in destination the and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like a turning point too is when he goes and shows. I still have the letter. Oh up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, and it's all like water damaged and stuff. Yes. Um, 
and says, like, would you let someone get on a plane mm-hmm. with a boarding pass that looks like this? And being like, okay. And the, the final line of the movie is, like, she's like, uh, he's like, can I come with you to wherever you're going? And she's like, you don't know where I'm going. And he's like, I just want to go wherever you take me. Um, yeah. And then, you know, directed by Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, like, I, I, like I say, like, I was like, kind of like cold on the start of this movie and then I was like warming up and warming up and warming up to like where you finally get the to the climax of the Tony Lung and this other woman who I should have looked up the actress's name that was yeah. bad on my part for not doing that but um yeah by the end of their story I was like oh this is amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah uh ran a little long on the plot summary but um I think we yeah. Talked about a lot of stuff. Um, I think Faye Wong, who just plays Faye. Yeah, the other thing that's hard, it's hard to... Okay, Brigitte Lynn is the woman in the blonde wig. We don't get her name. Um, Takashi Kaneshiro is... Uh, uh, Heichi Wu. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, Faye, Faye Wong is Faye. Um, yeah. And Tony Long is just Cop 663. Yeah, you don't yeah, you don't get a lot of names. You're yeah. you're you're kind of supposed to be like oh Fei Wong and Tony Lung. Like you're legitimately like it is trading on some of the like maybe not star power that those actors had at the time, but like maybe star power that they had now. Or you're just supposed to like read the credits and be like oh that's Fei Wong or something like that. You know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. And by the end, really liked this movie. It is a journey, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But um, yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I did find interesting was, um, and I feel like this is like really something that I associate a lot with the nineties, which is, um, like this movie is not like a, a dogma 90, is it 95, 95, 95 movie. Um, but I feel like it is still like operating in the spirit of it a year earlier, Mm -hmm. which is this idea of like, yes, there's like all this like budget and everything that goes into making films. But the whole purpose of like dogma 95 is not like, this is like the one true way to make movies or like, this is what like amateur or like up and coming directors should strive for. But it was literally a, a thing put forward to be like, you've been making movies. You feel like you're in this rut where you're like dealing with the studio. You're dealing with like sets and blah, blah, blah and everything. And here's this like list of limitations that is going to force you to just like get out there with a camera and shoot something Mm -hmm. and to like do it in this like very roughshod way that will like give you some of the feeling that you have of like when you were young and you were first making films Yeah, and inspire you and like make you excited about making movies again. Yeah. Um, and so like Dogma 95 films are films that I often can sometimes almost be like unbearable to watch. Like sometimes they are just like hard to get through because like they are so like intentionally low budget. The celebration is fucking awful. I hate that movie. (laughs) Um, but some of it is just like this exercise for a director to like see what is like actually going to be exciting to them. And I feel like this is something that is, like, operating in that mode. Uh Uh-huh. For sure. And is 
is succeeding far more than some of the other stuff yeah. that I've seen. This movie is like so rough around the edges and like it not, you know, composed in the way that In the Mood for Love is composed. And I think that's mostly to its credit. And like, yeah, there's like long stretches of this film that I was not reacting to or reacting poorly to. But like, I don't think that it needed to be, you know, I think in some ways, like the holding it up as a masterpiece makes it sound a little more considered in a bad way. Whereas I think the movie is just sort of going for energy, for vibes, for like, let's see where the movie takes us. Yeah, that was part of the, the strength of it. And then also I can see how you make something like this. And then you find the things that you are interested in and that you want to explore more. And then you make something Mm -hmm. like In the Mood for Love. Well, yeah, because... Because a thing that we talked about a lot with In the Mood for Love was this, like, way that spaces framed people. Mm -hmm. That stuff often felt like it was actually in small apartments. Mm -hmm. And that the... Being in that small apartment meant that the camera had to be at places where, like, sometimes just, like, literally the architecture is, like, oppressive in on these people. Yeah. This feels like something that is in small apartments because he's doing it this, like, quick, you know, I, this other thing's going bad and I'm just going to do this thing and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to shoot it. And in the process, there are moments where there are interesting framing where you're looking through something and some of it was probably... Some of it was like, I found this interesting shot because I had to figure out how am I even going to shoot something in this apartment? Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um, like, I could see those connective tissues from how you you have con- uh, Chunking Express and you get to In the Mood for Love. Mm-hmm. And this is, you are just trying to figure out how to make the film work. Yeah. And you're finding really interesting things, and then you get excited about it, and then you do very intentionally composed stuff later. Well, and, the, and, and like, you know... Um... Both thematically and aesthetically, I feel like, um, like there's there. One of the things the guy at the very start says is like, you know, you see all these people, you just like bump into them, you know, um, and they have like a full life, you know. Like I pass somebody on the street, and that person like has been alive for twenty five years, just like I have, and like has had a lot of experiences that have shaped them into this person. And I'm just passing them on the street. And that is sort of the idea that is sort of guiding all these people, you know, of like, oh, let's just zoom in on four random ass people. What is the thing that these four people have in common? They all like have complicated feelings about love. Why? Everybody does. Let's just like this person maybe wants to feel love, but is scared to. And so she's going to like do all these sort of like avoidant things to like be in his life without, you know, like doing the scary thing of like asking him on a date. This guy, he feels jilted and he's going to deal with it this way. This other woman, she feels jilted and she's going to deal with it. All, All these people have like rough times in love because really all of us do. And, you know, yeah. Um, let's just explore that. And I see how you sort of like, improvise that movie and you sit with those ideas and you're like okay what if i had like two characters and i gave them much more like specific problems <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, i had in the mood for love is like six years after he made many movies between this movie and that movie 
I, I, I feel like maybe I'm being a little off base to like constantly compare it, but one, it's the other one cart Y movie I've seen. And two, I think they are very much in conversation, you know, both of these have like love as, uh, and also like exploring, like people who are, who love each other and can end up making the connection and those who can never can. Yes. Like the, I think what's strong about the first part is doing this more contrast of like, this is this guy who talks about both, um, Bridget Lin, mm-hmm. and then also uh, Fei Wong briefly, and both yes. of them are like for a brief moment we were like you know zero point one yeah centimeters. we're so close <coughs> and then never again mm-hmm. right he's like he is the missed connection like Craigslist ad <laughs> of a person <laughs> if missed connections on Craigslist was a human being it was it's this man would it. The this fun this thing and is then so... Tony Lung is like the misconnections that actually then happens because there's like a more intentional desire on both of them to like build themselves into places where they are a part of that person's life. Her in this like very literal way uh-huh. throughout the film. Him in this way where like even if like she's just never going to return, I am still going to be like at the shop where her you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to, like, involve myself in that way where she could come back to the shop and find me there. When I was a teenager, (coughs) and I feel like this is probably a thing that a lot of teenagers go through, I would get this, like, I would get an idea in my head. And, And then that would be the idea that I was just, like, thinking about constantly, all the time, for, like, oh, a couple weeks, and then I would move on to another idea. You know, I would be like, oh every person has this in common or, oh, you know, we're all united by our, our, our being scared of dying or something like that. I would get this idea in my head and that would be like my fixation. It would be like this like kind of dumb, philo- like quote unquote philosophical idea. And that would be like this thing that was like in my head all the time. Um, and then I would move on to another idea. The thing that is so compelling about the, the guy at the start of the movie is that he is holding all those, every philosophical quote-unquote idea that has ever crossed his mind, he is holding them all in his head at all times and is, like, living this, like, I have to ritualize everything so that I can remember all the ideas I have because they're important, and if I can do that, then someone will love me. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, he's... (coughs) that chapter didn't fully work for me, but like that character does, you know, like I, I, he's, he's a fun guy to like see in a movie, you know? Yeah. There was a part where he said that he was 25 and I was like, man, you are too old for this. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, if he was a teen, that character would make perfect sense to me, but he's just like very immature in a way that was like hard for, for me to like have affection for this guy at this point, because I'm just like, you need to grow up. Yeah. Uh, and then Tony Long's there, and I'm like, all right, here are the, some people who are like more adults, but like dealing with the whimsy of love. The ways in which he is a very immature person, I definitely had the same thing where, because it comes kind of late in the chapter that he says he's 25, I think. Um, but I was like, man, buddy, I thought you were 20. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
I I can sort of like write it off as like, oh, maybe like the turning point for him is coming. I have hope for him where he is going to be like, I got to not like creep on women in this way. You know, yeah. I got to not like pin all my habit. That's all he needs is he needs to realize that like being in a relationship will not inherently 100% of the time make him happy. And if he can just have that realization and that like there are things internal to himself that could make him happy, then he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Yeah. You know? Um, he's able to take care of like fish and a dog you know he's like yeah. a functional person he's just not he's just out of his mind <laughs> yeah um i think another aspect that i found interesting with this movie was this is stuff that centers around tony Lung's character which is that there's like this he in particular embodies this like sense of like regularity like he goes to the same restaurant every day mm-hmm. um he he's like this person who like seems to in the way that this guy is like you know the first guy is like trying to instantiate all of these routines into his life that like embody the things that he's thinking Tony Long's just like existing in this routine mm-hmm. he's just like here's here's my patrol here's my place that I get lunch here's blah 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 you know I get the sand or I get the salad and then I come later and I get the food to take home to my girlfriend or mm-hmm. whatever um, and then that gets disrupted. And when that like breakup happens, he even jokes with, cause there's the part of like, Oh, she might like the fish and chips more. You should get fish and chips and not mm. the chef salad. And he does that. And she does like the fish and chips. She never really liked the chef salad. And then it's like, Oh, why don't you try fish and chips and pizza? And then he comes and is like, Oh, she wanted to try other things. Like she, she wanted to try other men. Yeah. I think is what he said. She wanted to try other like food and she also wants to try other men. Yeah. Um and almost this like the routine was this thing that like he he relied on and saw as like the thing that is just like continuing his home life, his relationship, everything. And then like this thing that disrupted it is like the thing that um you know, the, the small disruption of the the food is, like, being reflected into, like, the disruption of mm-hmm. her leaving him and everything. Um, but then what's sort of symbolically happening through this, like, weird gaslighting a cop storyline yeah. is him finding someone who is able to, like, put change into his life, but in ways that are like that gradual change that he talks about. Yeah. That he can like change gradually. Uh It's the big changes that are hard. And so it's like, yes, I can come by and I can change your bedspread and you don't notice it. Uh I can come by and I can get you a new towel. Yeah. Notice it. And it's like this like daily thing. So, um, can I divert totally and just talk about like images? I was going to just say that. And then it ties into I think there's, it's in the first part mm-hmm. where um, the the criminal woman, I think, is the one who has the thought of, um, it doesn't matter if you get to know someone because oh, everyone changes. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and she has that thought and then you cut to <coughs> the ex-boyfriend 
and you're yeah. like, oh, what happened there? You know? Yeah. Um, but I think it kind of thematically ties into with this, like... Yeah, absolutely. That almost, like, part of, like, a healthy relationship is not just knowing someone, but, like, being there through the gradual changes. Being able to, like, gradually change with each other. Mm-hmm. Being able to gradually change each other. Yeah. Um... Can I talk about the greatest shot that's ever been in a movie? Okay. Is it in this? Yeah. When? So, <laughs> there is... Is it, wait. Is it Tony Long's face? It, it, it does involve his face, yes. Okay. I now understand why you're saying it's the greatest shot ever in cinema. Yeah, so... Proceed. <laughs> there is a motif throughout this movie, particularly in the, particularly in the first part, but it happens in the second part too, some. Um, and particularly in action scenes of this like or or crowd shots, people moving through crowds, where and I wasn't quite sure, but it like everything looks like blurry and jittery. You said they might have like a really low shutter speed. Yeah. Um, so it's one, it's getting a large longer exposure time. Yes. Which would cause more of that jitter. And then also you're getting like slower, you're getting like frames. Yeah. You're not getting like the full 24 where, um, you know, it blends together in your eye, but not as well as 60 frames per, per second if you're one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I, have I told you the Counter-Strike guy story? No. There is a guy who I used to be roommates with who told me he doesn't like movies because, um... There are only 24 frames a second, and that just doesn't look good to him. Uh, and he said The Hobbit is the only movie he likes. This guy was a professional Counter-Strike player, too. Anyway. Okay. Um, I had more stories, but they're off podcast stories. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this, there's this motif um, of this, like, slow um, shutter speed like thing that is happening that it looks looks really striking and cool um and i don't know probably has like a purpose but also this movie was made so quick that if you asked Ron car why and he said i just thought it looked cool i would buy that you know <laughs> i would just buy that um, the other thing i wonder because so many of them one i think some of it helped do action scenes with really low budget Mm -hmm. where you don't have to have really good choreography because you're not showing all the details of the fights. Uh Also, I think there's probably a certain amount to which um, some of that might just be shooting in actual crowded spaces where there's also like, you're just anonymizing people and things. Yeah. So, so, and like helping to just focus it on like here, are the main characters that I'm interested in. So, that was mostly in the first chapter, but it shows up in the second chapter some. And one of the scenes where it shows up, and I can't quite in this moment recall the context of it, but you get, like, really close shots of of Fei Wong and Tony Long having some conversation. And then it zooms out. It's like, sits the um, camera, like, across the street from the restaurant. The restaurant has, like, open doors, open windows. Like, it is, like, a very, like, open thing. Um, and so you can see everything and it is just a like slow shutter speed and also slow motion shot of Tony Lung just taking the longest sip of coffee in the history of cinema. 
And I would just, I could watch eight hours of Tony Wong's Sip Coffee. I just thought it was great. Yeah. I just think it was fantastic. It was when <laughs> um, she told him, here's the letter from the studio. Yes. Yes. And he was like, and she had already gotten him the black coffee. And he was like, I'm going to drink my coffee. Yes. And then took the longest sip and then was like, paid for it. I'll get it next time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then just never came back. It's so good. It Until he came rules. back and bought the place, but it fucking rules. Yeah. Um You love Tony Lung so much. I do. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, just like when we have like actual free time, we should try and get that Tony Lung Jackie Chan movie. And then oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can watch that with Emily, and then both of you can just watch your favorite boys ever. <laughs> just being hot men on screen. Um <clears throat> I don't remember the name of that one now. I'll have to look it up again. Anyway, um, I just thought it was fantastic. In there's general, not there's not a movie that has Jackie Chan, Tony Lung, and Mifune in it. But if there is, <laughs> <laughs> that would just be hitting all the <laughs> just pushing all the buttons. Um. I love Mifune so much. He's so hot. I know you do. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just thinking about him now. Continue. Generally, my other big thought aesthetically is I was so interested. And I think this also... I think this is like one of those things that probably rises organically out of the like quasi-improvisational nature of like the making of the movie. Which is that like there is just American shit everywhere in this vision of hong kong like there are there's just like shots where you just have a like you know huge like three person tall mcdonald's sign you know and there's coke cans and coke machines everywhere and and like she um at one point while gaslighting him buys him a big garfield a huge garfield plushie yeah um and I'm not even like remembering most of it. There's just like American bullshit. I was I was about to everywhere. <laughs> I was about to to say something, but the the giant Garfield plushie replaces the giant M plushie because it was a polar bear. <laughs> but then I was thinking about is it the Coca Cola polar bear? It might be the Coca Cola polar bear. When did that happen? I feel like nineties. Probably 90s to 2000s, right? Yeah. I miss that bowler bear. Anyway, um... And I know... It's one of those things where I'm like, maybe this is making a point about, like, the ways in which, like... If I think of it... I think if I was going to try and pull a point out of it, um... It would be, like, the ways in which... Um, Fei Wong's character, like, is fantasizing about going to California. She's listening to American music all the time, and so she has these dreams of traveling to America. Yeah, I think um, the the American music, I think, is very intentional. Yeah, the American music, th- that was the other thing that I meant to mention, and I forgot, thank you. Um, like, the American music, like, saturates this movie in, um, <clears throat> and, like, I think if I was gonna pull a point out of it, it would be, like, the ways in which, like, you know, imperialism is not just, like, coming here and, like, you know, 
like extracting resources, but also it is just like American crap just like eats up the imagination of people, you know? And yeah. like you can't imagine escape that isn't I'll go to America because that's where things are good, because that's the sort of like, you know, cultural like osmosis propaganda that is just like broadcast at me all day, every day. There's just you can't go six feet in this movie without just like a brand, you know, yeah. and an American brand. Um, yeah. Part of me wonders if some of it is like we kept joking about product placement, uh huh. And some of it is that it's probably just like if it's in the environment. Yeah, yeah. In the U.S., there's probably more concern of like you have to get that brand out of here or else they have to give us money. Yeah. Whereas, like in this movie, the the other thing is like. I don't know that I want to pull a point out of it. I think if I wanted to, that was the point I would make. But I think probably more of it is like, we thought this McDonald's sign gave the, you know, scene a sort of distinct look. And so we shot it, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're not going to sue us. We're in Hong Kong and they're not going to figure yeah. out international law just to go after some indie movie. <laughs> That's basically giving them advertising. For the thing. Yeah. 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 Um, he eats that burger. Yeah. Um, oh, to be Tony Long eating a comically oversized hamburger. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, part of me wonders if like some of this is also like when there's the intentionality stuff, I often think of how it comes up in like in a lot of Japanese films. If you see a significant increase in that stuff like American brands and things. Mm -hmm. Some of that is specifically demarcating like being close to a U.S. Army base. Mm -hmm. This is like a big thing in Yakuza films mm -hmm. is when you start seeing a lot more Coca-Cola and everything it is often like oh they're going to Okinawa or something. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to a place where like there is a U.S military presence so i think there is a certain intentionality like but also some of it is just like the unavoidability of like yeah if you're making a film in hong kong it's yeah kind of about how there's a bunch of like americans and brits it was like anytime you see a court scene in a movie in hong kong they got the stupid fucking british wigs on because right fucking british law yeah like something else um <clears throat> that i just thought of too is um, Fei Wong's character you see like in her reflected this like desire to escape to California, mm -hmm. you know, um, in the ways in which like American culture like eats up even one's imaginations of what like else is possible in your mm -hmm. life. Um, you also get in the first part um, two things. So one. In the first part, you get, like, the the, the criminal woman, her ex-boyfriend is an American. Um, and he has a thing for girls in blonde wigs, apparently. Because, like, he gets this new girl, and he's like, oh, wouldn't it be so sexy if you put on a blonde wig? Um, and so it's just interesting that, like, like, women have to sort of, like, reshape themselves into looking American to be attractive, you know? Mm. Um uh, the other thing that I think is maybe a little more of a stretch on my part is um, Tony Long, when he's trying to 
get his like outfit for his date goes to what I think of as this like very like American South American Midwest like I've got my plaid and my jeans and my plaid is tucked into my jeans but that plaid shirt is one that she put in there oh okay yeah okay that, see, so it is also I, still tied. Down. I thought that was like a little tenuous. I was like, he kind of looks like a cowboy in a movie, but I might be like, that might be because I watch cowboy movies and yeah. shit. You know, this might be because I listen to country music, and so I just see that. But I mean, it could also be she's doing a shirt that is a little bit more like American. It could be, yeah. Um, Are you let you fucking in? satisfied, cat? Um. Did he actually leave? No. no. Um, yeah. Sorry, we were visited by a lamb. Everybody's favorite podcasting cat. I had a thought and then Lem like eradicated it from my brain. Um, she put the shirt in his closet. No, it was some other thought. Okay. I don't know. Um... Any other just like aesthetic things you want to pull out from this movie? Um, I would hate to see this movie color corrected. Yeah, I don't want to watch that other version of it that Wong Kar Wai did. There's still like colors going on in here. Well, yeah, but the the colors that are happening in this movie feel like yeah. I, I was watching the commentary uh, that Vin Vendors did about Paris, Texas, and he talked about. How even in the 80s, you know, um, there's a lot of like neon lights because they were just at it. They would just set up at a gas station and shoot. Um, and even in the 80s, there was like enough, you know, you know, the technicolor process or whatever it was they were doing to make those films color. Like anybody, any like technician would have just like color corrected out all the neon in Paris, Texas, and v- Vendors was very insistent about, no, leave it in. That's how it looked, you know, on the yeah. on, on the shooting. And so there's a lot of, like, st- and, and a lot of those shots, I thought, when watching the movie without the commentary, looked like, are they on a set right now? Why does this look like shit? <laughs> yeah. Like, why does this look so bad? And it was finding out, oh, well, they didn't, like, you know, correct all these things that would normally be corrected. Um... I do wonder if there's like some stuff in this movie that's like, this looks like shit. And it's like, well, there was a great, great big green neon light over there and we just left it in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I, I don't want to see that like version that Wong Kar Wai put out last year. I really, I would really hate to see him tampering with like, I think this movie just like looks good and I don't, I could sort of like see because in the mood for love is such a like such a specific thing. I could see why someone might be interested in that. Like, oh, I, I had a different intense intentionality. But in this movie, no. Yeah. Uh do we want to rate the stairs? Yeah. Um I feel like there's not a ton of s- stair shots, but there also are. there's like the it's less a stair and has more like a moving ramp. Yeah. That goes right by the apartment that becomes kind of can't significant. Figure out what that thing, can't figure out what the deal with that one is. I think it was yeah. cool, but um, um, 
I want to say like maybe a C minus because there are definitely shots of stairs in like big moments, but I I didn't think that any of the stairs jumped out at me. Yeah, none of them felt like it being stairs was thematically important. Yeah, was much. There's a certain amount of like being in in transit of, with the window and stuff, but yeah. But not like in a way that felt like even the ones stairs were at them. The ones, I can maybe do a C, but yeah, the ones that recur the most, the ones right outside his apartment, we really only see them twice, and like I don't think they like serve like a big purpose in the moments that we see those ones right by his apartment yeah. door. You know, yeah. I just realized that we have emails. It's only two, and they're short. I was so ready to just be done. It's fine, though. I have to do therapy at 9 in the morning, so I get you. Um, um, right, I didn't send you screenshots. Yeah, you um, did. Rick says, as Neve is probably still not a brain, I thought it would be fun to send you both this synopsis of a rom-com manga that is uh, out there, fully scanned, if it's something you would enjoy. The series is called Cypher. It's said in mid-1980s New York. Um, I'm not going to read all of this stuff that Rick sent, because this is just... I think you would enjoy this, and we'll probably, like... I might, like, share this in the Discord, but we're tired. Yeah. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, there is a question. I'll just say I have heard of Cypher before. If you had to make a Pokemon evolution out of film directors, either covered for stairwells or not, what would it be? Werner Herzog is evolving into Vernus. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um, are they evolving into other directors or? Uh, I think that is left to your interpretation. All it says, if you had to make a Pokemon evolution out of film directors, what would it be? Um, um. Werner Herzog is evolving into Blastoise. <laughs> I'm like I'm like trying to like conceive of Like my brain's just like not even working with this Pokemon thing right now. Okay. Sorry, um, Rick. It's twelve thirty at night, so Vukasaku Kinji evolves into Kitano Takeshi, definitely. For sure. Oh well that's one of those ones where like like Umbreon and Espeon, if you evolve him in at at night, he evolves into um, well, this doesn't work necessarily, but like if you evolve him in this certain way, he he turns into Kitano, and if you evolve him in this other way, he turns into Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um. It it depends on the uh the like mood or whatever of uh -huh. the Pokemon. Yeah. If it's really sad. Then it turns into uh, Kitano. If it's happy, if it's on the happy side, then it turns into Mike. Um, and if it's right in the middle, it turns into Kurosawa Kiyoshi. <laughs> um, <laughs> Perfect middle. Marin asks, uh, I love Chunking Express so much. It's one of those movies I could just throw on any day and have a good time with. I'm a big fan. Um, of the clock with the flipping numbers from the first half of this movie, what are some other great movie clocks? Um, also, any favorite acting performances? Faye Wong is the woman who sings Eyes on Me in Final Fantasy VIII. 
Yeah. That's where I know that name from. Oh my god. Yeah. I didn't connect that until now. Um Sorry, I'm 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 having a moment. You're reeling. So the first one, uh favorite clocks from movies. Um definitely we've talked about it before, but the clocks in Pale Flower. Clocks in Pale Flower. There's a really important clock in Pastoral, which we're gonna do next. There is it's not important in any way, but there's just a really nice shot of an analog clock in In the Mood for Love that comes to my mind sometimes. It just is a, it's like a very like square, straight-on shot of a clock that I just think looks yeah. nice. Um, I think maybe it like starts at that square, straight-on shot and like pans into something else. I don't remember now. You have cheer wine? Yeah. I want a cheer wine. It's Emily's cheer wine. Okay. I was at the store today, and I thought about buying soda, and then decided not to because I'm a little broke right now. So anyway, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, also, you know, I, I was gonna say the Pulp Fiction clocks, but I don't even, I don't even like those clocks. Yeah. Um, favorite acting performances by famous musicians. Um, I mean, Bowie's just a big one for me. Lots yeah. of Bowie. Yeah. I f- like he had a little bit more of a breakthrough into acting, but mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of like people who are like basically just musicians. Tom Waits. Any anytime Tom Waits shows up in a movie, I think he's great. Like, yeah. j- like, like it's not even like like he is playing the same character that he plays in all his songs, but mm-hmm. it like works, you know? Yeah. Um. Tom Waits, I think, is a great actor. Yeah. In particular, I would shout out uh, his segment in Coffee and Cigarettes. It's cliche. I feel like everybody knows the Tom Waits, Iggy Pop segment Although of Iggy Coffee Pop's and Cigarettes. Although Iggy Pop's another one. Iggy Pop does some uh, interesting know. acting cameos. I know that he's like in movies sometimes, but I know I don't. I haven't seen those. I know um, Henry Rollins of Black Flag does a lot of acting these days. Um, yeah. I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but when I, whenever I watch interviews with him, I'm like, oh, this, he seems like a fun guy. He had a vampire movie come out a couple years ago where he's just an old, angry punk rocker, but like, he's a thousand years old because he's a vampire. Yeah. Um, which is, I didn't see it, but it is a compelling setup, and I kept meaning to see it and then never got around to it. I think it's called He Will Never Die, or He Has Never Died, or... Um... You know what is a uh, acting performance from a musician that uh, wasn't actually that good? You're gonna say some Nana shit. Yeah, Nakashima Miki <laughs> as live action Nana, uh, a lot better as a vocalist than an actress. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff that she can act, but when she, whenever she has to be like actually really emotionally sad, she just doesn't nail it. Puffy Amiyuma girls not that great in the cartoon they got. Yeah. Um. You know who is a great Nana though, Romy Park. Mm. He's a great fucking Nana. That's the anime Nana. Okay. I'm just gonna be patronizing to you because it's fun. <laughs> what are we watching next time? Um. So next time we are watching Pastoral to Die in the Country. Hell yeah! Also sometimes referred to as Pastoral Hide and Seek. Um, I prefer the 
to die in the country subtitle one because that's literally what the Japanese means is to die in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a Teriyama Shuji film um, from 1974, and it's a, in my opinion, absolute masterpiece that um, deserves a fucking incredible Blu-ray release. And I I'm excited. Don't think there's been one. I'm excited. Um, I'm gonna rewatch only film, yesterday. So, um, get ready for lots of uh, mom feelings. Um, not, sure. not when I say mom feelings, I'm not saying the feelings that I have towards my child, but the feelings that I have about my mom, <laughs> just to be clear, those are very different feelings. Um, how might one watch Pastorola die in the country if they wanted to watch it along with us? Um, so I think that actually the one that is on rarefilmm.com is even better than the main torrent I've been able to find. Okay. So if you go to rarefilmm.com and you... Is it .org? I think it's .com. Let me, let me just do... Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Rarefilmm. I don't know why I have .com. .org in my head. And if you just do the, um, the search up in the corner and do pastoral, I think it will come right up. The one thing that's weird with the search. There we go. Um, you just like have to click into it. Yeah, it's... It's the... There's three results and it's the bottom one. Mm-hmm. Um... Incredible movie. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really genuinely excited. Um, one of my favorite movies ever. I will compare it directly to Paris, Texas. And okay. see if it's better or worse. And that will be the only metric that I grade this movie on. Okay. Um, I guess that's it. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. I told myself earlier today that I wanted to get better at like pitching the podcasts, but I'm very sleepy and I do have therapy in about eight hours. I did do a good job of pitching the Patreon on Ghost Divers. Well, if you want to know more about all the other podcasts we offer, go listen to Ghost Divers. (laughs) I didn't talk about all the other podcasts. Yeah. Um, But yeah. But I, I guess I will just say if you are not a member of the Patreon, if you're not subscribing on that, um, literally $1 and you get early access to like, you get early access to a ton of shows yeah. and also you get all the shows in one feed, which I feel like is like the yeah. actual like secret best part of the doing the Patreon yeah. is it's all just there. But you get like Sunday bag end, Monday Gotham, Tuesday us, uh, Wednesdays, Wednesdays hot singles when we have it. That's not, yeah. a, That's weekly not a weekly thing. one, but, um, at some point, ours might ours Arcana might be back. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Friday is is divey, but that one is not early. Yeah. But still, that's a lot of early ones. Yeah. And then you, if you do five dollars, you get uh, Pop Down Funk, and you get the weed, the of, weed time of time once that starts. So, I read I read two chapters of I Have the World today, so we're trucking along there. Yeah. I'm so sleepy. Yeah. Um. Alright. Oh. At Foxmomnia. Yes. Sorry. You can follow me at Foxmomnia. Uh, go listen to Ghost Divers. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
What was it? Oh, uh, so a big thing that, that comes up with... Am I cutting stuff? I was I was just gonna tease you about how you have a smoker lab now. You didn't used to, but it's <laughs> it's hit. It's not because I smoke. It's I know. I have asthma. I know. Anyway, that's why I was gonna mark it because I thought I'd like a new thing to tease you about. plays. A man comes out and speaks into a microphone. He yells, no, I, Bonda. <laughs> and then a clarinet plays. And it's the same. <laughs> okay, I can't do this in Gordon Cole voice because Gordon Cole would never say motherfucking. <laughs> and then a clarinet plays. And it's the same music from Chung King Express. <laughs> How's that for a reference? I can't do that. 